Welcome to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast, where we go inside what makes a coach a coach. The Guardians of the Game podcast is a production of the National Association of Basketball Coaches and Learfield IMG College, brought to you by Wilson Sporting Goods. And now, here's your host, Dave Odom. Welcome back to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. Today's guest is one of our profession's most respected coaches and certainly one of my best friends in the, in the profession. He's head coach of the Davidson Wildcats. Coach Bob McKillop. Bob, welcome to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast, and thanks for giving us part of your valuable time. Thanks, uh, Dave, and uh, just wonderful and delighted to be with you. Well, I look at uh, your, your bio, and we could spend the next 30 minutes just talking about the places you've been, the things you've done, the people you've coached, the uh, coaches that have mentored you, and, and I, and I want to do as much of that as I can, but I don't want to spend all that time on that. I want to get to some of the uh, uh, more up-to-date trends in, in uh, college basketball, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you got started in the profession. I mean, I know, and, and uh, all of our listeners probably don't know, but you grew up in a hotbed of basketball on Long Island. Not the same today as it was back when you were growing up. Um, you went to Chaminade High School at Mineola. Um, tell us about what it was like growing up on the island back in, uh, you know, your day as a, as a high school uh, player and, uh, you know, some of the coaches that you kind of uh, watched and, and tried to emulate. Well, growing up in the 50s and 60s in New York was an extraordinary uh, opportunity for anyone that played sport, particularly basketball, baseball, or football. And uh, we lived in Queens, New York, and uh, I can remember the first game I ever attended college game was St. John's against NYU. And uh, that was at Alumni Hall at St. John's, and the legendary Joe Lapchick was, was coaching, and great players in the game like Barry Kramer and Stan McKenzie and uh, Mal Graham for NYU, they were called the Violets, and they were very good. They had been to the Final Four earlier in the 50s decade. And uh, St. John's had Kevin Lockery, and they had uh, Rudy Bogat and Leroy Ellis and uh, Tony Jackson. And it was just a tremendous memory as a young CYO basketball player in Queens, New York, getting to see uh, guys that became heroes for me. And then as, you, as we uh, moved to Long Island, uh, the picture changed a little bit because uh, it was no longer St. John's. It became Madison Square Garden. And uh, the NIT in Madison Square Garden was the biggest event in, in college basketball for anyone in the New York metropolitan area. Uh, the NIT had also the holiday festival, which was always around Christmas time. So I had the opportunity to see uh, the great Providence teams, the great St. Bonaventure teams. Uh, of course, Bill Bradley, Cassie Russell came in from Michigan. Western Kentucky came in to play South Carolina. Uh, it was an extraordinary time period, and uh, any coach that uh, has been a Hall of Famer was part of that time period for me to watch, to observe, uh, to really be a great fan of the game of basketball. All right, you go to Chaminade High School. What kind of player were you in high school? I was cut as a freshman, cut as a sophomore, cut as a junior. Not good enough. Finally made it as a senior, started one game, 
And I had the very, very lucky fortune of uh, a great friend by the name of Kevin Joyce uh, from Archbishop Malloy. <clears throat> Kevin and I grew up in the same parish, and uh, we knew each other very well. We played one-on-one. We played two-on-two, three-on-three, feverishly as young kids. So on a Saturday afternoon in April and May, I would go into Archbishop Malloy with Kevin. We'd play pickup ball, and uh, Mr. Jack Curran was watching in between his baseball games. And after a couple of weeks, Mr. Curran said to me, where are you going to school next year? And and I had no idea where I was going to go. It was probably going to be Holy Cross as a walk-on or Siena as a walk-on. Mr. Curran said, how would you like a scholarship to college to play basketball? I was dumbfounded. Within a week, I had a ticket to go to uh, East Carolina University, a plane, my first plane flight. Uh, was able to meet with Coach Tom Quinn, a lot of the players down there, and they offered me a scholarship. And that's where I started my college career at East Carolina University in 1967. But it only lasted one year. I'm not asking you why, but I do know you transferred back to uh, Long Island-friendly Hofstra University, uh, where you ended up uh, graduating. Did you play at Hofstra? Well, Dave, I was actually at East Carolina for two years. And back in those days, you couldn't play varsity as a freshman. So I played freshman basketball. And then as a sophomore, I was sixth, seventh man and uh, had an enjoyable playing experience. But uh, I was... uh, very young. I was 16 years old when I graduated from high school. I finished my first year of college at the age of 17. I was kind of young, very uh, parochial from the standpoint of being a New York guy. And I was just a little bit uh, a fish out of water at East Carolina in the 1960s. Uh, so I was homesick. And I came home to Hofstra, sat out one year, and then played my final two years at Hofstra. Okay. And then uh, I was looking at your bio. I was surprised to see where you were Signed by the 76ers, didn't make the, the roster, but that puts you in pretty uh, unique uh, territory there, just getting an NBA opportunity. Well, as a free agent back in those days, uh, the contract was for 17500 So a little different than today. Uh, and I was cut before the beginning of the season, but I, I want to make this note. Uh, when I was cut from the 76ers, that year the 76ers had the worst record in NBA history. They were 9-72. and 72. Wow. So, therefore, I was cut from the worst team in NBA history. <laughs> well, uh, that's uh, something as, as good you can keep on your resume, <laughs> but I don't know that I would tell that too much. But, uh, anyway, um, all right, so uh, you're, you know, you're, not, you're finished with your playing career, and uh, you begin uh, your coaching career – uh, back on Long Island, Holy Trinity, the Diocesan High School there in Hicksville, New York. You had a stellar career there, 86 wins, uh, 25 losses. Talk to us about your first coaching experience on Long Island at Holy Trinity. Well, what a laboratory it was for me because uh, you had to teach as well, and I was a history teacher. So in a classroom, having to motivate students and educate students about the Industrial Revolution, uh, that's quite a challenge. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my experience at Holy Trinity. Uh, It was an incredible laboratory for a young guy who loved the game as basketball, but also loved history. And uh, I had terrific players and terrific assistant coaches who uh, allowed me to make a lot of mistakes, allowed me to really uh, uh, explore different options and uh, fortunately, I survived, and uh, we were very successful at Holy Trinity, and we had some outstanding players who went on to play Division One basketball, 
And uh, back in those days, recruiting was a little bit different. So college coaches would be flowing in and out of our gym. In fact, I can remember college coaches coming in, Dave, and uh, a couple of them playing pickup with our players. And uh, I don't think you could do that today, but uh, these were young college coaches, and they were looking for a workout, and we had pickup games going on, and we didn't have enough guys for pickup, so they played pickup with our guys. Somehow or another, uh, after um, your experience at Holy Trinity, uh, you got an offer to go down to Davidson. Uh, Who was the head coach at that time? Well, it was Eddie Biedenbach, but it's interesting how I got that offer to come down to Davidson. Uh, in my second or third or fourth year at Holy Trinity, I began working the five-star camp at Robert Morris in uh, uh, Pennsylvania, in, just outside of Pittsburgh. And that's where I first met you, actually, when you were on the staff at Five Star. And uh, I, I believe that you might have been at Wake Forest at that time. And, and that was a hotbed of college coaches on the rise. I can remember Pete Gillen. I can remember you, Mike Fratello, uh, Bobby Cremens, uh, Mike Pratt. Uh, if you don't, uh, if you don't mention Patino, he'll kill us. Well, yeah, Rick Patino was, <laughs> was, and I had known Rick growing up, so it was, it was Rick. It, and, and the list goes on and on. Mitch Bonagore, Seth Greenberg, Brad Greenberg, and and I'm forgetting many. I'm sure Ralph Willard. They were terrific coaches, and it was what an expose to to experimenting with offense, with defense, with talking about the college game, the game of basketball. So being a five-star, I kind of had an in with uh, a lot of college coaches. They, they got to speak with me. They had dinner with me at five-star, and I got to know them pretty well. And um, in that year at Holy Trinity, 77 to 78, uh, we had a young sophomore by the name of Matt Doherty who was uh, projected to be an All-American and eventually became a high school All-American and a very, very good one. And uh, so I I met Eddie Biedenbach as a result of the five-star connection. Eddie Biedenbach uh, offered me an opportunity to join the staff at Davidson. But here's a a great story about that. About a week before visiting Davidson, I was visiting Penn, and I was offered a position at Penn for Coach Bob Weinauer. And... uh, uh, Bobby Stack, who's currently a member of uh, the Miami uh, Heat staff, was one of the assistant coaches, and uh, Bob Weinauer offered me the job. And when I went to Philadelphia from New York, it was a rainy day. It was the construction going on the campus of Penn. There was a lot of mud, a lot of fences, a lot of construction equipment. And uh, I go down to Davidson the next week or two, and it was a sunny day, beautiful football game going on. Warm weather, beautiful trees, beautiful foliage, beautiful campus. And plus, I had known Davidson from my days at East Carolina when it was a top 10 program. I decided to commit to Davidson. So I came to Davidson as an assistant, did not go to Penn. Penn went to the Final Four that year. (laughs) So so another decision I make, and uh, boom, boy, oh, my my goodness, what did I miss? (laughs) Well, uh, of course, you you, you obviously know, you know, you never know what's – ahead next year, so you, you make the decision best on what uh, you know at the time, and you obviously made the right decision. You sacrificed one year in the Final Four for 31 years at, at Davidson that have been uh, – you, you couldn't replace that. You you just could not. All right, so uh, what happened? You stayed there one year with Eddie, and then you go back to Long Island Lutheran uh, where you won five – New York State Championships, 182 wins, 51 losses. Uh, what a record. You're back in, in, in kind of 
you know, your comfort zone up in, in Long Island? Well, I love my year at Davidson, um, but the, the, the position at Long Island Lutheran was uh, an administrative position, uh, just running their summer camps, not just basketball, but all of their camps, and be the basketball coach. So I, I had probably at that point one of the finest jobs a high school coach could have, uh, and they paid me very well. I was got a, got a chance to run my own basketball camp. I got a chance to work for uh, the Utah Jazz as a scout, and I got a chance to do clinics in Europe all in one bundle. And uh, I could not pass that up. And as a result, uh, I went back there and spent 10 wonderful years. So I had 16 tremendous years at the high school level from the standpoint of learning, growing, enjoying the experience, and, and really meeting and working with terrific players, coaches, and people in those schools. You know, uh, you and I, par- our, our careers paralleled each other from a high school standpoint. I was I was a high school coach for the first 14 years of of my coaching career, my life, and uh, you pretty much different number of years, but a uh, similar situation there. I, I don't know about you, Bob, but I wouldn't take anything for uh, the years that I spent in high school and uh, learning the game from the ground up. You mentioned the five-star basketball camp. That was as instrumental in my uh, career uh, as, as anything I can think of. Howard Garfinkel, Will Klein, and the others that uh, relationships that I built. You, you, you talked about many of them uh, over and over and over again. For our young coaches who are listening to this podcast, talk about the value of being a high school coach and having to do everything, including uh, washing the uniforms, folding the towels, and sweeping the floors. Well, back in the 60s and 70s, it was a little different environment. Uh, not only did we have to sweep the floor, but we had to share the gym with the gymnastics team. So you have the music from the gymnastics team going on on one side of the court. You're trying to educate your players about basketball on your side of the court. There's music. There's, uh, you know, young girls running around in leotards. Your players are, are, you know, getting distracted constantly. It was quite a challenge. Then you had to you didn't drive buses or vans back in the day when I coached, you, you had to drive cars. So you had to be organized with getting players who could drive cars, uh, driving the players yourselves. You had to tape ankles. Uh, you had to clean the locker room. You had to wash the uniforms. I mean, you had everything to do that uh, taught you about uh, every job there is on a college staff today. And, uh, you know, I never had the aspiration of being a college coach, uh, until I just got so excited about going to college games, meeting college coaches, uh, going to college practices. Uh, it, it just intrigued me more and more and presented me with uh, maybe a dream that I could get to the college game someday. And, and Dave, this is something I don't know that you remember. You picked me up in 1977 in Winston-Salem at the airport. I flew in for an interview for the part-time position at Wake Forest with Carl Tacey. And uh, this was 77, and uh, I didn't get the job. But it was you that picked me up, and I remember having lunch with Carl and, and, and Coach Tacey, then drove me back to the airport and uh, did not get the job. So another mention for our current high school coaches, you're going to get turned down. You're not going to get jobs, and uh, you just got to keep knocking on doors. I got to admit, I do not remember that. <laughs> but that, that had to be a bad mistake on Wake Forest's part. <laughs> so I apologize. All right, let's, uh, let's dive into Davidson. Uh, 
you got to, you were named the head coach in 1989. Of course, let's cover the first thing about Davidson in reverse. Steph Curry. I mean, everybody wants to know about how you got Steph Curry. I'm going to give you about one minute to tell us that, and then we're going to go back uh, to the other 30 years. Well, I don't last here unless I had great assistant coaches, and uh, uh, one of them at that time was a guy named Matt Matheny, uh, who played for us here at Davidson, was a football basketball player, captain of both teams, and joined our staff. And uh, Matt and I went to Steph's house and uh, we, it was in about this time, maybe a little bit earlier in the end of uh, beginning of Steph's senior year of high school. And we were convinced he was a very, very good player for us. We loved the fact that uh, Dell had been such a successful player in the NBA. And his mom, Sonia was also a very successful athlete at Virginia tech. And we were shocked that not many people were recruiting him. So when we went to his house to take the home visit, uh, he committed and we were we were really surprised. Now, he had an opportunity to step onto the court and play a lot of minutes as a freshman. He knew that was going to happen, and he was going to be close to home, so there was the attraction there. Well, he was also a superb student, so the academic attraction was also something for him. Uh, but uh, clearly, I can remember that day when we left their house, Matt Matheny and I, and you know, Sonia actually said to me, uh, Coach, we'll fatten him up for you, and both Matt and I said, no, we'll take him just the way he is. And certainly that's the way he was. And, and look at what he's become. Well, uh, you know, everybody needs somebody like Steph Curry to get to the where you want to get. And certainly he was uh, the, the, uh, the piece, the missing piece at, at Davidson. But when I look, I look back at Davidson, um, I mean, what a just an unbelievable basketball legacy they have had at Davidson. I mean, you've got uh, – the legacy of coaches like Lefty Drizel and Terry Holland and um, Dave Pritchett and Larry Brown for a short time and Bo Brickles. Uh, these are all great coaches in their own right. And then you, you know, you come in there. I may have missed one. I don't know, but um, you, you, you come in there and uh, it wasn't easy early, early on. I, you know, I was looking at the record. I, uh, you know, your first two or three years was uh, you were getting your program in place, you were doing it in a very methodical and solid way. The foundation was going to be good. You were going to be able to win. You had a plan, and and you didn't you didn't hurry out. And of course, Davidson is not a a school where you can run out and get a bunch of junior college players. Nothing wrong with them, but uh, you can't go out and get a bunch of junior college players and transfers and things like that. It's a school that's you know very ac uh, academic oriented and. Uh, you know, they're very proud of their basketball. So you, you understood that and you began to build. So talk to us about the formative years of building um, uh, the program at Davidson to where it is today. Very, very lucky to have Terry Holland as our athletic director and such a, uh, an influence on me. Uh, he guided me. He nurtured me. He uh, encouraged me. He inspired me. He allowed me to make mistakes. Uh, but always, always supported me. And with, without his presence and guidance, I'm not sure I would have lasted. So without doubt, Terry Holland was, uh, was the kingmaker for me. He, he just did such a tremendous job of, of, of being an, uh, not just uh, uh, an, an energizer, but uh, a teacher and, and someone who made me a better coach. And Davidson itself gave me that opportunity to make mistakes. And uh, I'm not sure that's going to happen in the culture of today. So I, I fortunately had made mistakes. And the mistakes I made were I, I didn't have my eye on the ball. I, I thought I was going to wave a magic wand. 
and, and march off into the sunset and get an ACC job or perhaps a job with the New York Knicks. And uh, little did I realize how difficult it is to build a program. And thankfully, uh, that group of players that were with me during those first four years uh, established the foundation upon which we built this, this program to where it is today. And uh, if, if there's one regret I have in my coaching experience at Davidson is that I was not a better coach uh, for those guys in my first, second, third year here at Davidson, uh, they deserve better. Uh, they were unbelievably committed to, to creating a kind of culture that could last for a lifetime. And uh, I, I just wish I could have been a better coach for them. Bob, I, I look at your resume. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. 11 SOCON championships in the regular season, seven tournament championships. Uh, you kind of navigated Davidson through uh, the Southern Conference and, and you had an opportunity to move to the Atlantic 10 where you are today. You've already got uh, a regular season championship in 2015 and, and a tournament championship in 2018. I mention all of that and all of that's a matter of record, but I mention all of that and then I think about all the coaching changes that we face each and every year. And I don't know uh, the number that you've had opportunity-wise to move, but there had to have been several uh, over the course of uh, your 30 years, 30-plus 30 years at, at Davidson. I'm not asking you where. I'm just saying to you, if you've had opportunities to, to move and you have chosen to stay at Davidson for all of these years, that is so unusual. I ask you why you made that decision. Well, when you look out onto your um, your backyard and you look at that beautiful green grass, and then you walk closer to that green grass, you see there's crabgrass there. And um, while well, I'm at Davidson, I, I understood where the crabgrass was. Uh, and, and I think as you look to your future and you look to other opportunities, you really don't know those other opportunities. I knew Davidson. It was a fit. And it was a fit for me personally, but it was a fit for my family as well. Uh, they had made a tremendous sacrifice in leaving their their family, their extended family, up on Long Island and uh, coming to new territory in North Carolina. Uh, three children and my, our, my wife, Kathy, and they made a tremendous sacrifice in those formative years. And they became very, very happy here. So to interrupt their happiness... Uh, that would have been uh, not, not the right thing upon my part. And the longer I stayed here, uh, the more the army, the family of Davidson people got built, the more I felt a sense of gratitude to them and, and the more I felt part of them. Uh, so th this is something that's, uh, you know, on my heart. This is something that uh, I really believe in. This is something that's a perfect fit for me, for my family. And for all the players that have been part of it, then uh, how could you leave that? You know, um, I, I, I look at it, and I, there's so many ways to do uh, any one thing. Uh, you know, I've got a son in coaching myself, and, you know, I, I made a decision for him to – or he and I made a decision for him to kind of find his own way. And I s tried to support him all through it. You've done it a little differently. you got you got one of your sons, Matt – on your staff, um, what was the, uh, the, you know, why did you make the decision to bring him in uh, under your tutelage and, and try to help him through his coaching career uh, under you? 
one thing that really builds a program are people, whether they're players, their coaches, their administrators, who wear that particular program on their heart. Um, Matt grew up wanting to play for Davidson College as an eight-year-old, seven-year-old, nine, ten-year-old young man. He dreamed. That was his dream. And he lived that dream. And that's been on his heart ever since he's been a, a little boy. And uh, how you could then make him even better as a coach uh, and also allow him to, to demonstrate that tremendous loyalty to Davidson uh, really surfaced when the opportunity for hiring him came along. And uh, very grateful that Davidson gave me that opportunity. It's been one of the great decisions that we've been able to make here in hiring people on our staff because he's been superb. Um, we got a few minutes left, Bob, and I, I want to go through um, some of the things that are going on currently in college basketball. So if you kind of give us your view on it uh, quick in, in, in quick order. Um, some of these things I know Davidson really doesn't participate in. For instance, the one-and-done uh, situation right now. How do you feel about that? Um, <laughs> I, I don't spend much time thinking about it because we don't experience it. Uh, you know, I, I think about uh, other sports. I think about other uh, talents. Um, I, I just wish that you could. You didn't have to go one year at all. I wish you could go right from high school and choose whatever you wanted to do. If, you, if you're a great tennis player in high school, uh, why would you have to go to college to – uh, to continue if, you, if that was your desire to be a, a great tennis player. Uh, I, I think college affords you an opportunity to get educated. And uh, uh, so, so I, I think it's a free country. When you're a, a 12th grader, you can do whatever you want, whether it's become a, a, a piano player, whether it's becoming a tennis player, whether it's becoming a, a, an entrepreneur. Uh, I, I think our country is a, a great country to allow us to really chase our dreams in however w way we want to. How about the fifth-year graduate transfers? I'm a little different about that than a lot of people. Uh, I, I think we need to legitimize that, and this might be crazy, but if, if, if you're going to qualify for uh, a graduate transfer, great. I love that concept. But if you're the school that's offering this graduate opportunity – I don't think you should have another opportunity unless that guy graduates. I, I think that should be some uh, criteria for taking a graduate transfer, that it's not just some mercenary who's coming in to play basketball uh, under the guise of graduate transfer. He's actually a graduate transfer getting a graduate degree, and then uh, that scholarship is replaced once that graduation occurs. All right, how about the idea of this name and likeness uh, concept that is kind of passed around to, to many of the state legislatures? Uh, I don't know much as much about it uh, because I, I don't believe it will impact us. Uh, we don't have that Power 5 conference-level player that's going to uh, attract a lot of opportunity for income earning by our players. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm always for helping our student-athletes become uh, the best they can become and get the opportunities that are uh, certainly available for them. I, I look at what a, a student athlete gets today in 2019 uh, versus what you got as a student athlete or I got as a student athlete. And uh, 
Uh, I mean, it, it's it's been a dramatic uptick in terms of what becomes available, and I'm not just talking about uh, financial aspects of it. I'm talking about just the, the care, the mental care, the, the physical care, the health care, everything that can be done for a student-athlete to improve his quality of life. I think the NCAA and various colleges and universities throughout the country are making that effort. Bob, I don't know about you, but I, I, it just seems to me like there are more early season injuries in college basketball than I have ever seen. I would just submit to uh, coaches that maybe we're doing too much in the summertime, not giving their bodies enough time to recover. Um, Have you experienced that or noticed that at all? Yes, I certainly have, uh, Dave. And I I have a crazy theory. Uh, We have a current player named Bates Jones, whose brother Daniel Jones is the quarterback for uh, the New York Giants, and, and Bates played high school baseball, high school football, and high school basketball. Bates hasn't been injured. Uh, we had another player three years ago, player of the year in the Atlantic 10, Peyton Aldrich, never was injured in four years. Played high school baseball, high school basketball, high school football. Tyler Kalinowski, player of the year five years ago in the A-10. High school basketball, high school football, high school uh, baseball. So I, I think the idea of, of being focused on one sport might overtax the muscles that are used for that sport. And you become a better athlete by playing sport, but by diversifying your, the playing in high school, I don't think you're at all hurting your chances to become a great player in whatever sport you might choose. Last thing. Um, I look at college basketball today, and, and uh, I don't know if we've gotten to where we're like a copycat league or not, but uh, in other words, looking at the NBA and then, you know, trying to emulate what they're doing to LeBron James or the uh, Kawhi Leonard, those kind of people. But it it looks to me like uh, college basketball today, uh, offensively at least, is much more perimeter oriented. You're trying to get sometimes four and five players out on the perimeter opening up the middle for drives and throwouts and three-point shots. Um, is that right, or is that just something I'm, uh, I'm envisioning that's not there? Well, I think it's there, but I don't necessarily think it's a reflection of college taking from the NBA. I, I think there's a synthesis there that uh, coaches just see what's best for their particular uh, team. And um, you look at the skill level that is developing all across the country, all across the world. And, and people are becoming more highly skilled. Uh, you know, the concept of uh, not being one particular position and pigeonholed into that. Uh, I think there's resistance upon the part of young kids to become a pigeonholed as a back-to-the-basket player or as uh, simply a point guard. I, I think the, uh, the versatility has is, is been an element of basketball for quite some time. And, and you can remember, and I remember, uh, the 1970s, early 1970s, what I think was one of the great college programs was Digger Phelps' Fordham team. And, and that, to me, was the first time I saw versatility at all five spots on the court. And uh, I, can know, I, I can tell you this, that my coaching philosophy was really impacted by that, that versatility concept that Digger had at Fordham back in 1970, 71, 72. Uh, that really... Uh, triggered a thought in my mind that that boy that's a difficult team to defend and that's a very good team that can defend because they're interchangeable last thing if you had one thing to say or maybe a couple of things to say to some of the young coaches that are listening to our podcast today about 
you know, trying to get into coaching first of all and then kind of navigate their way up through the different ranks, what would it be? Well, you're going to lose. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but keep your eye on the ball and keep swinging to hit that ball and make contact. And then once you become a coach at any level, what you say to a young man can last a lifetime. Uh, I, I can recall things I said to players in 1972 and 1978, and they can tell me verbatim what I said to them in the locker room in 72 or what I said to them in a practice in 77 or what I, I did to them after a practice in 84. Uh, it lasts a lifetime. You are the most in, 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 uh, powerful leaders other than parents in the world today because sport is held in such high esteem. Thanks, Bob. And I, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast and especially to our guest today, the great coach and a great friend of mine, uh, Coach Bob McKillop. So good luck to your team this, this year, Bob, and we'll be following that uh, from, a, from a distance, but certainly following it, no doubt. And for everyone else, those that want to learn more about the NABC, they need only visit nabc.com.